All right, and welcome back to the program. It is good to have you listening today. Uh, a very, very great program indeed with Dr. Robert Linden and his view after he retired as a primary care physician. We're going to talk more about that because it is a, uh, it's a passion of his, and I really feel that all of us, both physicians practicing, anybody who's listening, the re- main reason why as a doctor, you hope you would have gone to school is because you really care about people and you want to know what is going on to help people if they are in stress, if they're in trouble, if they are they have become toxic, if they need to do something to get their body back into shape so that they can live a long, healthy life and die a short death instead of living a, a, a short, healthy life and die a long death. So many people are dealing with chronic disorders today that could be helped or that could have been avoided if they would have just received the tools, would have received the support, would have received the knowledge that they need in order to achieve that goal. So we're going to continue with Dr. Linden, and he's going to talk more about the passion of primary care, being a primary care physician, and why the numbers are dwindling, and what that may do to the American healthcare system as we are talking about it today, because that is part of the rise and fall of the American medical empire, the loss of primary care physicians that we have, and we have too many specialists. Uh, Dr. Linden is back with us on the program, and and, uh, indeed, primary care physicians, these are the people who are the ones that do a lot of, of the intake of information, who listen to the body, listen to the patient, listen to what they pick up in the voices and in the symptoms, and then say, you know, this is what's going on. And when Dr. Linden went to medical school and to uh, he did his internship, he got uh, really inspired by uh, the man Gene Solberg, who was uh, his 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 mentor there, and who had phenomenal bedside manners, and and who was very good in 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 finding out what was going on, and and then order a test if needed, if necessary. These days, a lot of change. Primary care physicians may be part of the uh, partly caused by the malpractice insurances and the premiums. They're so careful right now, uh, even though they're extremely knowledgeable, have done many, many years of taking of information. It's like they cannot trust themselves anymore. Everything has to be tested. Everything costs money. People are sent from one person to the next person because. If you, if you think about medical doctors going to school and learning about anatomy and learning about disorders and learning about the head and the rump and the lower body, and then all of a sudden they talk to you and they say, well, I rather send you to a specialist. And then the specialist, what, what the specialist knows nothing else about the body except his little field and says, well, I better go send you to my colleague and he may know better. It seems like the, 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 uh, there are so many specialists today that know a little bit about the body, but don't look at the body as a whole. And, and for those of you who have seen a movie about Patch Adams, you look indeed at the body as a whole, the person. The person makes the body. The body makes the person. It is integrated. There is a, there is a whole individual with experiences and life and love and sadness and, 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 and happiness behind the disease. And you need to find out who the person is so you can start working with with the raw material to bring the body back to life, to bring the body back to health. And that can only be done if there is a cooperation between the, the, the person who feels the symptom and the person who understands the symptom 
and can understand the understands the cause and can help you with the protocol how to get back to life. And that is really the role of a primary care physician, uh, Dr. Linden. And that is, uh, sadly enough, as you observe and as you write about in your book, uh, that is a dying breed. Right. Yeah, I mean, the number is terrible. I, I, I mentioned before the break, I mean, when I graduated, 4,000 U.S. graduates were going into primary care. It's now currently about 500 to 900 for the entire country. And actually, there's a study in 2008 of fourth-year medical students, of which only 2% of the 16 or 17,000 graduating now are interested in primary care, which brings the number of people graduating from medical school and go eventually going to primary care internal medicine down to about 320, 350 individuals, which is actually the same number of general of surgeons are going to general surgery, and that's for the entire country. There are 5,000 hospitals in the country. That puts uh, one internist and one surgeon in every hospital every 10 years. And you kind of say, now, you know, how could that possibly be? But to be honest with you, the person that took over my practice, he's the first, he's the only person that's come and joined an internal medicine practice in our area in the last 12 years. And we're midway between Boston and New York on the coast of Connecticut. I think it's a very desirable area. But if that, that's the number of people going in, we have, we have a major problem. And, and, and like you were saying, I mean, primary care physicians, and for the listeners, a primary care physician by definition is that usually a family practitioner, an inter- general internist, pediatricians fall into that group, mm-hmm. and also gynecologists because they treat a lot of, of uh, females in childbearing years for, for, thing, for general complaints. And those are the primary care core for this country. And, um, and when you look at other countries that are far above us, that 37th number that you gave from the WHO, I mean, every other industrialized country, primary care reigns. I mean, there are 60, 70 percent of the physicians in those countries are primary care physicians. And in our country, it's down around 40 percent. And there are places like Arizona, that I was reading recently, they're down, the primary care physicians are 20 percent of the physician population. Yeah. And yeah. when you look at those countries, you know, primary care really does, like you mentioned, you know, does, you look at the quality goes up, the cost and errors go down, um, the access of patients to physicians goes up when you have a, a strong primary care group, and there's a continuity of care. Like you said, primary care physicians will follow you over years and years and years through all your diseases, and there's compassion, you know, like Lee was saying. I mean, the primary care area is pretty much the last, reason, you know, last remaining area where you get compassion from those physicians, and like you were saying, Jacobus, I mean, the primary care physician is the cap should be the captain of the ship. Yeah. And they're supposed they should render most of the care and they should oversee and coordinate the care when you're going for tests and subspecialty consultations. So having a strong primary care sector is is the way to go. Yes. It is uh, so I'm I'm thinking all of a sudden it is the difference between when there is a problem in town and the police gets involved and then all of a sudden the the Fed shows up and says, we're going to take over. We know how to play the book. This is what we do. And the police says, but we understand this town. We know how right. things work. You know, don't take over our job. Let us do our job. And, you know, the uh, the feds are saying, no, 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 we're going by the book. And that is almost what is happening with the, with the, uh, with the medical industry as well. Because right. in a way, uh, and I don't want to toot the horn of natural medicine, but all... All answers are found in nature, and and there are a lot of things that are available if the person, the individual himself or herself would just feel encouraged that there is a lot of power in themselves to create the healing process. And I still feel that most of it 
is started with diet and lifestyle, as you mentioned as well. If there's not one, two things that you need to do or three things, it is, it is your lifestyle. It is keep your weight down, uh, eat a balanced diet and do exercises. And if people can do that on a daily basis, even if it is, you know, just focusing on it, think about it, work with it. And instead of just giving in to all the temptations that are out there and be lazy, then you cannot uh, you cannot expect that you're going to live, live a long and healthy life. And and I tell people on a regular basis as I see them, I say we cannot afford anymore to get sick. We cannot not not on an individual basis it is going to ruin you financially. And number two is we don't have enough physicians to take care of all the people who are getting sick. And with the baby boomers coming up. Um, you know, uh, about a third of the America of the Montana people will be over the age of 65 in about uh, nine years. And when you think about that, I asked them back in 2004, what are you going to do to help prevention, to take care of the preventive medicine? And the answer I received was, we are building more nursing homes and teaching more nurses. And I said, well, that's not prevention. That is, the, that is prevention as far as building something and making money on, but, but there is no money coming in. There is no money to support this, this system. We need to educate people how to stay healthy, first of all, and then have a doctor that can be your coach, that can be your supporter, that can be somebody you can bounce ideas off of, of when there is a problem. Hey, how do I fix this? And say, hey, just do a little bit of this or that and you'll be better. And, that has that has gone away. It has become nobody dares to answer questions. Everybody is afraid they're going to be sued, and uh, the premiums are very very high. As you mentioned, twenty thousand dollars a year for malpractice insurance premiums—that's ridiculous. Oh yeah, yep. and and I forgot to mention we have to stop smoking and moderate alcohol. We've left that out of the mix when we talk about the exercise, diet, and weight. But you know, those are the five things I would say. Well, what is left if there? <laughs> Can't smoke and drink anymore. What am I gonna do? Well, I, yeah, you can drink. I mean, one or two drinks a day is probably healthy for you, but the smoking is out. That's that's really out. Oh, bad, Chuck. bad, bad. What are we gonna do now, Chuck? Oh, I just, well, I shouldn't uh, say we. I'm not. But. No, I don't. I don't know if I can say this, but sex is is, is helpful. Yeah, it is. You can say that. It's a natural word. I think you can find it in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, so it, right. it should be available. It <laughs> should be a question with the old bat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's not listening. Are you lucky or what? All right. Now, um, one of the one of the issues that's coming up, uh, Doctor Linden, is as um, doctors go to medical school, they have regular visits by pharmaceutical industries representatives. And, and uh, I know in dentistry school, I know a young man who is going to dentistry school and he is, uh, they get visited by the people who make all the great equipment and they get freebies over here and free dental brushes and the latest technologies. And so they're already, uh, they're already warming them up for gifts, for bonuses, for, um, for their uh, allegiance, so to say, to that specific company. And uh, all of a sudden that starts to work throughout their practice so that there is not a critical v- uh, voice anymore that says hey wait a second i don't i like this product from you but i don't like that and i don't like that attitude it's almost like you pledge your allegiance to certain companies who give you the products uh, you pledge allegiance to the pharmaceutical companies and uh, and to the money the money that is that is waiting for you if you would just uh, supply or uh, submit yourself to to their to their spiel so to say 
Right, right. Yep. Yeah, major problem. I mean, actually, I, I don't know if any of the listeners have seen the movie Love and Other Drugs. I was I was um, basically out at a you know a quick stop food place the other day, and I ran to a friend of mine as an obstetrician who said you gotta go see this movie, you know? and so I went out and saw it. And it's about actually it's about a drug rep. It's eye opening, very truthful. Although it says docs are going out to conferences and you know for sexual encounters and things that, which isn't true. But no. but the bottom line is that um, there's this concept of indebtedness, and and the pharmaceutical companies know this very well. I mean, the psychology of the pharmaceutical companies and their infiltration into the science and practice of medicine is really interesting, and it starts in the office with the drug, drug representatives who come in and and um, give little gifts, and it's amazing how it doesn't have to be a fancy dinner or a trip to California or Hawaii. It, it can just be a couple pieces of pizza for lunch, but it's a concept of you know indebtedness or reciprocity where if you give a gift to somebody, they remember it, and, and it comes down to your face with two blood pressure medicines to give to somebody, and one's generic, it's three cents a tablet, yeah. and the other is a sample you happen to have in your office given to you by the drug rep that's $3 a tablet, and, and the person you know, treated you to lunch the week before, and you're going to pick out the drug for $3, and a lot of times they suck you in because they give you samples. You say, well, now I can give the sample to a patient for a month to try out. It's free. Uh, if they have a side effect, they haven't wasted any money. And that's all true. But then when they go get the prescription, now they're on it for the rest of their life at $3 a day versus the cheaper generic. Give them the 30 tablets of the generic for 5 bucks, And if they have a problem, they've only wasted 5 bucks. Yeah. But this concept of indebtedness is really you know, uh, very strong in offices and, and, and sucks doctors into prescribing expensive proprietary medicines and staying away from the generics. But it's a similar thing what happened in 1996 when they started the study on hormone replacement therapy. That was supposed to be an eight-year-long study that got cut short in 2001 when so many women were de- dealing with cancer issues, female-related cancers and heart disease. Um, that was actually an experiment that they didn't know was going to work, and the test was uh, so many uh, millions of women who participated in that ended up with disorders, and all they said after five years, oops, I guess this is not really working as well as we thought, but uh, who was writing uh, you know, uh, letters uh, of, uh, of condolences to the families who have lost uh, wives and mothers because of an experimental uh, drug that would really cause more problems than it actually did benefits, gave benefits to the women? Uh, so sometimes you ha- you're dealing with things that are put on the market that haven't really been tested correctly. And and as we see, uh, like with Vioxx and Baycol, uh, some of the drugs out there, they are pushed and the FDA says, okay, it sounds good, the test sounds good, but the tests were done by the company themselves, not really by an independent laboratory. And then all of a sudden, uh, we realize there are problems and the product is taken over the market. And it's like somebody mentioned in a book about vaccinations, and he said, you know, how can we just say that everybody can be vaccinated without a problem? He said, if you would give, if you would mandate that everybody would eat peanut butter, just like we give everybody vaccinations, we would have a lot of dead people because there are people who get anaphylactic shock just from eating peanuts. And so you cannot just mandate something. You can educate people about it and say it would be a good thing to do, but these are the risks and these are the benefits. And then, and then work with that. Uh, don't you agree with something like that? Right. Yeah, I mean, and that's a key point. I mean, you know, when, when a drug hits the market, I mean, it's an amazing number. But it's usually, on the average, been tried in only about 3,000 people. So yeah. when the FDA approves a drug, think of it as 3,000 people. Now when it hits the market, 
and hundreds of thousands of people start taking it, yes. that's when you start to see the side effects. And that's one of the reasons that um, the, 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 the people that, you know, really rail against direct-to-consumer advertising, which is, uh, again, this whole issue of over $5 billion a year spent by the pharmaceutical companies yeah. to get advertisements on TV, radio, and in your newspaper, yeah. is that basically that's exposing people, millions of people, to a drug the minute it hits the market. Yeah. And, we have to and that's... We have to run again, Dr. Linden. Okay. Hold your thought, please. Uh, we're okay. going to be right back. Robert Linden is with us. Stay tuned, folks. will be not a great hour coming your way. Gesundheit with Jacobus. Every Saturday morning from 8 to 11. 